0: Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. What I'm talking about today is, is outcasts and reaching the outcast. And who is the outcast? You know, is, is, it just the, is it just the kids with the tattoos and the piercings? Or is it just the insecure guy who sits at the back of the church? And today we're going to talk a lot about that. First of all, I just wanted to start out with a quote from my favorite writer, Brennan Manning. Christianity is not about ritual or moral living unless they are products of experiencing the unconditional grace and love of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank You for this time together, Lord. We just ask that You would be here today with us. That You would move us, Lord. That not my words, but, but You would speak through me today, Father God. And that You would, would allow us to hear what we need to hear and close our ears to what we don't need to hear, Father. But just be with us today, Father. Give us a new passion and a new burden for the lost. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, give you guys a little bit of history on who I am, and some of you might be here for another speaker, so this will be good for you to know, so you can go to tent nine. I'm Jay Baker, and I run a ministry in Atlanta, Georgia, called Revolution, and our ministry reaches out to disillusioned youth, not just youth. When I say youth, we reach people of all ages. We work with punk rock kids, goth kids. We work with tattoo artists, people who own tattoo stores, piercers. We deal with homosexuals, street kids, drug addicts, people who come from all sorts of backgrounds, good church backgrounds, non-church backgrounds, atheists, all sorts of problems that you can imagine. And we believe in bringing hope to those people. And we believe in going to them and becoming them and becoming a part of them. And so that's what we really do. But to give you a little bit of background on me, when I was a kid growing up, my dad and mother, some of you are too young to remember and some of you will remember, my mom and dad are Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. They were two of the largest televangelists in the country. And for many years, my my parents ministry was just going great and then in 1987 due to different circumstances my parents lost everything and in 24 hours I watched the body of Christ America's favorite television couple Christian television couple go to America's least favorite I watched a lot of the body of Christ turned their back on my family within 24 hours. We were surrounded by thousands of people who loved us, and the next minute, I wasn't even allowed to play with my friends anymore because their parents didn't want it to be associated with us. Two years later, my parents, my father would end up going to prison and getting a 45-year sentence. He would only have to serve five of those years. During that time, my parents would divorce Matter of fact, I was the one who went into the prison and sat down with my dad and said, Dad, mom's leaving you. And during that time, it was a very absent time of the church, was there for me. I can remember times when when I, I was going to church to try to plug back in and try to understand what was happening. And it's a loud guitar over there. <laughs> and uh I remember sitting in the church and a youth pastor getting ready to take the offering and going, don't worry, I'm not going to pull a Jim and Tammy on you and continue to tell jokes about my parents and continue to feel rejected by the body of Christ. And it seemed like the ministries my father had started, like the 700 Club and TBN and different things like that, had kind of forgotten him and had written his history away. And all of a sudden, my family was no longer a part of Christian America anymore. As, as, a, as, a, as a pastor said, we were a cancer and we were removed from the body of Christ. And it was a very lonely time. I was 11 years old. It was from 11 and until 18 until my dad got released from prison. And very few people reached out to my family. But the people who did reach out to me in high school were the outcasts, the skinheads, the goths, the punk rock kids. They reached out and they said, you know what? The world reached out and said, we love you. We want to restore you. And when the body of Christ wasn't there, the world was. So I made a decision. And my decision was, is when I realized how true Jesus was, and that all that rejection and all that hurt wasn't Jesus. It was just man's tradition. When I realized that, I made a decision to bring that unconditional love and grace of Christ back to those kids and back to those people who loved me so much. Um, at Revolution, our mission statement scripture is Mark 2.15. And if you did bring your Bibles with you or, or if you brought notepads with you, feel free to follow along with me. Isn't this awesome? I'll pull up a pulpit? The garbage pulpit? The Six Flags Garbage Bulbing. Amen. Okay. Mark 2. Mark 2.14. Let's actually start there. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alpha, sitting at his tax collection booth. Come be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. That night Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guest along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. There were many people of the kind amongst the crowd that followed Jesus. Now listen to that. That night Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guest along with his fellow tax collector and many other notorious sinners. These weren't just sinners. These were people that were notorious sinners. I don't know what the difference is because a sinner is a sinner. But these people were notorious. These were the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And I guess the reason they were so notorious is because these tax collectors were traitors to their own people. They'd go in and take whatever they could get over the taxes, they kept. Now this is Levi's house who is a tax collector. So it says there were many people amongst the crowd there are many people of this kind amongst the crowd that follow Jesus. Now let me ask you guys a question. When you were in your worst days, because I know some of you have been Christians your whole life, but no one here is perfect. And I can tell some of you had some wild days growing up. Just looking at it. See? Look at me. <laughs> but did, did you want to follow somebody who was constantly putting you down? Would you have wanted to hang out with somebody who is saying, you know what? You look like an idiot. You smell bad. You need to get your life straightened up. You need, you know, you're, you're pitiful. You need to turn or burn. You know what I mean? You either need to turn or go to hell. You know, you need to change your life. You need to straighten up. And someone who is constantly on you? No. You, unless you got to a very broken period in your life. But He was with many notorious sinners. Many of these people were following Him. There was something different about Jesus. Jesus wasn't sitting there continuously rebuking them. He was loving them in a way that they had never been loved before. I mean, it was definitely revolutionary, especially since if you think of the law and the different commandments that people were under. It goes on to say, but when some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw Him eating with people like that, they said to His disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Those are what the religious people said. The religious people of the day. Why does he eat with such scum? That scum was Levi, who we later will know as Matthew. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm guessing maybe Mary. Magdalene the prostitute was there. And different folks were sitting there at the table... And the the religious people are saying, why does he associate with such scum? Well, I can remember in a time in my life when just being a baker felt like being scum. And I think each person here at one time in their life has felt like scum in a church setting. You know, if we all get honest with us, there's been times where maybe we've been to church and we haven't felt like we fit in. Or there's something wrong with us. Or that there's this hidden sin that if someone knew about, they would realize that we were scum. And that we just knew that God had told the pastor and that he just thought we were scum. Because that's how I lived half my life. So these Pharisees are going, why does he eat with such scum? And then it says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call sinners, not those who think they're already good enough. Now this was so revolutionary that it's mentioned four times in three of the Gospels. It's only left out in one Gospel. And in that other Gospel, it talks about Jesus hanging out with being known as a drunkard and a friend of sinners. So this was revolutionary that Jesus was hanging out with these people. These notorious sinners that were His followers. Who were these sinners that He had called? He said, I didn't come to call you who think you're good enough. You think you've got it together. You think your life is right. You think you're perfect. Guess what? I didn't come for you. I didn't come to call you. I came to call the sinner. You think about Peter. When he met Peter, he said, Peter, you're my rock. You're my rock. You're the person I'm going to build the foundation of my church on. Okay. This is the same man that is going to deny him three times. It's the same guy who's going to lose his temper and pull out a sword and try to cut some guy's probably trying to split his head in half, not cut his ear off. And also the same guy who said, Okay, it's okay for Jews and Gentiles to eat together, but he still wouldn't eat with the Gentiles, to the point that Paul had to come along and say, Hey, Peter, come on, man. You're being a hypocrite. You're preaching something else and doing something, doing one, saying one thing and doing another. But the fact is, is Jesus doesn't use perfect people. And in the late 80s, it seemed that we had become to the point where we believe God uses only perfect people. And it seems today, even, that some churches and some people think God only uses perfect people. He only uses the good looking people. He only uses the people who have their lives together. Well, that's a contradiction to the Bible. You know, we get so legalistic and so self righteous when we're Christians. We're like, oh, we're just, I am a wonderful man. Did you see? You know, Billy's been coming to church for six months now and he's still drinking. And he's—he, I saw him smoking outside of the church. And when he got here, I think he smelled like wacky, tabacky, you know, little weed. So we better do something about this. You know, I don't think we need to have him at the church. He's, in, he's influencing the kids. He's influencing the kids in the youth group. You know, we've, we've got to get him out of there. And so we put a time limit on God's grace and on God's love, on the fact that God came to call sinners, and we don't trust God in that person's life. And we don't trust God in the other kids' lives. All of a sudden, we become the Pharisees. We're the, well, we can't let them hang out with such scum. We can't let them hang out with those people. You know, we put a time limit. Well, what if we would have done that to David? I mean, David is a man who sat there and was watching a woman taking a bath. I mean, basically, he was enjoying some pornography. Sitting there and goes, I've got to have this woman. Now he has tons of women. And he says, How do I get this woman? Well, we all know the story. He finds out, and they're like, Man, David, he's married. As a matter of fact, the guy works for you. We think he's a friend of yours. And David's like, Okay, well, just send him to the front line. Let's just see what happens. And he has him killed. And then God says, This is a man after my own heart. What about the Apostle Paul? Now this is the most notorious sinner of them all in the Bible. Paul is what I call the exclamation point of the cross. He is the exclamation point of the grace of Jesus Christ. Um, Paul, Paul was, was such a passionate Pharisee. He was there when Stephen was killed. You remember Stephen was stoned. And Paul, what did he do, hold everybody's jackets or something? And he was just kind of giving his little nod, yeah. Kill Stephen, it's okay. We always like to say, oh, Paul didn't kill anybody. He just persecuted them and put them in jail. Well, that's, that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> Paul or Saul was passionately going outside of his jurisdiction, persecuting Christians, having Christians killed every single day. And then one day, he's walking down the road, and we all know what happens. Jesus says, you know that guy, he's down there killing all the Christians. He's my number one enemy. Man, he really has a passion about him. That's who I'm going to use. That's who's going to write my New Testament. That's who's going to write the most of the New Testament is a man who persecuted and killed my people the most. So when Jesus said, I've come to call sinners not those who think they're good enough. He wasn't just saying that pre-cross. He was making a huge statement to what was going to happen after the cross. Jesus doesn't use perfect people. Why are we shocked when we see pastors fail? Why are we shocked when we see ministries fall apart? Why do we gossip? Why do we tear down our pastors when we realize that they struggle with sin just as we do? Why do we become so self-righteous, so judgmental? Why do we attack the homosexual community like we do? Why do we attack the little girls who are having the abortions and scream and point our fingers and judge so harshly? They're no different than us. They're no different than the Apostle Paul. They're no different than Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger. They're no different than David. No different than Levi, who was Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus didn't hang out with clean people. The only people Jesus ever persecuted were the religious, were the self-righteous, were the people that thought they were good enough. And if you are sitting in here today and you think you're good enough, I want to let you know you're kidding yourself. Because you're not. You're not good enough. No man is good enough. But where's freedom in that. If you want to turn with me to Romans 3. Romans 3.22 It goes on to say, We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way no matter who or what we have done. For all have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in his gracious kindness has declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take our punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We were made right with God when we believed that Jesus shed his blood to sacrifice his life for us. Now let's go back to that part. It says we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins and we can all be saved in the same way no matter who or what we have done this is the good news this is the news that saves paul this is the news that when i go out onto the streets when i go out into the to the places with the kids who who feel like god doesn't love them because they might i mean, I, I, I sit with kids who think god doesn't love them over the most petty reasons in the world. Because they like to have a beer with their dinner. Or because they have a tattoo. Or even because they, they might have had an abortion. And when I can sit down with these kids and say, you know what, God loves you no matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. I mean, do you understand? God gave up His right as God to walk on this earth and be a servant for us all. And then die as a common criminal on the cross. And either Jesus' blood on the cross was sufficient or it wasn't. And to me, His death on the cross was sufficient. And when these kids say, you mean God loves Marilyn Manson just as much as He loves Billy Graham? God loves, you know the Christian right just as much as he loves the, the the homosexual community or the left wing. You know, God loves the president. But most of us here don't. I mean, it's pathetic. I mean, what have we done? We've been saved from a life of sin. A life of sin that none of us will ever escape. We're always going to struggle with sin. We're never going to be any different from the world except We accepted that we could be saved no matter who we are or what we had done. God's love for us is so irrational. But it's not just for us, it's for the world. He goes, I love you. I don't care who you are. I don't care that you're Paul. I mean, literally, you can compare Paul to Adolf Hitler. He persecuted and had people murdered. But God's grace was sufficient. But today in, in, in the Church of America... We can't forgive a fallen preacher. We can't restore Jimmy Swagger. We can't re- restore Jim Baker. We can't love the tattooed Pierce kid in the pew next to us because he's too different. We can't love the kid who's a homosexual sitting in the back of the church for the past six months who still hasn't got his, his sexuality straightened out yet. I mean, what has happened? How have we become so pompous and so judgmental that the church is dying? Why do you think that they make fun of us? Why do you think that the world makes fun of us? Why do you think the world doesn't want what we have? Because they see us killing each other. There was a recent conference in Florida of 6,000 people. There were 40 punk rock kids sitting in the corner. One of the bigger evangelists of today got up and looked down at the punk rock kids sitting in the corner. And said, you're all a disappointment to God because of the way you look. You know, and I wasn't worried about those Christian kids there because I knew them all. But what about the guy in the back who said, I'm going to give church one more chance. I'm going to give God one more chance. We don't realize that we may be the only Jesus anyone ever sees, but all we can be caught up in is get your life together, straighten up. Don't wear your hat in church. I wonder how many people have gone to hell because they were told not to wear their hat in church. And they had so much built up pain, so much built up hurt, so much built up anger inside that they just couldn't handle it. My, my uncle, who I never met, was going to take offering. My, 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 my grandfather was the man who took the offering at the church. One day he said, son, I need your help. Bob, I need your help. And Bob got up and said, okay. And Bob took the, took the, took the plate and and went to, to to pass the plate, and all of a sudden the pastor's wife said, No, he's not good enough to, to carry that plate. Well, my brother my brother, my Uncle Bob, never found Jesus until a week before he died of a very rare illness. And he had told my dad and my grandfather that he was always called to be a minister and always called to be a pastor. I could have only imagined the life and the people he could have affected if only someone would have not judged him. Who are we to judge? The Bible says stop judging. How you judge, you will be judged. Do we have any room in our lives to judge? Well, people say, well, Jay, the Bible also says that we can judge and we can be righteous judges because we're the body of Christ. Well, more power to you. Enjoy it. But until I can get my life completely straightened out, I am not going to go around judging people. Now listen, I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm not trying to give anybody a free license to sin and say do whatever you want because also in, in here it says, and I always put this on here for the people who think I'm giving license to sin, so this is for you guys. Um, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. And what I found out, I'm I've been sober for five years now. I've been in the ministry for about eight years now. But I got to a point in my life where I was an alcoholic, and I had left the church, and I didn't know what to do anymore. And I I left the ministry, and I went up to a friend of mine. And I said, "Man, you know," I said, "I feel like if I drink or do this, God's going to hate me." Anybody much clearly said, I, "Jay," he said. He said, uh, "Don't." He said, Don't be, don't, he goes, you're taking Christ's death in vain, man. He goes, You're trying to earn your salvation. You're trying to be good enough. And, and I thought he was compromising. I said, You're compromising, but if compromising is going to give me some peace right now, that's great. So I moved in with him. And uh, it looked compromising, I thought. But all of a sudden, he st- I said, Prove it to me. Prove it to me that Jesus' love for me is unconditional. And he started to show me Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, and the exclamation point to the cross of Paul's life. And I started to realize that God loved me if I was an alcoholic for the rest of my life, or God loved me if I was up preaching and serving Him to 100% for the rest of my life. And only when I was able to accept that and my faith was able to accept that I was accepted. That's the hardest thing as Christians that we can do is accept that we are accepted. And when I accepted that into my life, Within months, I still drank for a while, but then I went and I checked myself into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I slowly lost the tendency to drink. Then I slowly lost the tendency to do the other things in my life that I struggled with. I'm not flawless. I still have a struggles, but I have a lot less struggles in my life when I decided to accept that God accepted me, period, rather than I've got to try to get my life straight. I'm going to tell you here, stop trying to get your life straight and start to get to know Jesus start to build a relationship with God start to build a relationship with our Savior because through him he will set you free but if you're trying on your own human effort and you're trying to please your pastor you're trying to please your church you're trying to please everyone around you and you're just banging your head against the wall and you're not listening to God, you're never going to get your life straight. You're going to get confused, and you're not going to get better. You're only going to get bitter. It's only going to get worse. So I'm saying, learn how to listen to God's voice. Learn how to listen to to God. Hear His voice. Spend time in your Word. And I just wanted to clarify, it was neat because when my friend said that, I looked here and it says in Galatians 2.21, I am not one of those who treats the grace of God as meaningless, For if we could be saved by keeping the law, then there was no need for Christ to die. My question to you guys is, are you making Christ's death in vain? Are you? Or are you making Christ's death vain in someone else's life? Are you being too harsh on someone? Are you judging the people around you? Are you judging the kid at your church that looks different? Well, if you're going to play in the praise and worship band, just take out your nose ring and your earrings. No, it's not a big deal. I mean, and if the kid's mature and you don't want to offend the people in your church, it's not a big deal. But are we we being petty? Are we nitpicking people to death? Are you telling people to earn their salvation or are you telling people to fall in love with Jesus and build a relationship with Jesus? Are you saying Christ's death and His blood is sufficient, or that we need to earn salvation. My One of my favorite Scriptures is Colossians 19, 1.19. It says, For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you who were once so far away from God, you are his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Now, this is not just the the sinner, the drunkard, the prostitute he's talking about. He's talking about the religious people. He's saying you were once my enemies. But he says, I've made peace with all of you now by my blood on the cross. He said everything, not just people, these trees, these birds, everything. Words you're paying attention to in the Bible are everything, all. Those two words are very important to see what they follow. So it goes, I've made peace with everything by my blood on the cross. This includes you who went so far away from me, you were his enemies separated by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has brought you back as His friend. He has done this through His death on the cross. Now listen to this. In His own human body. Now listen to this. This is important. This is what I want you to remember from this day. As a result, He has brought you into the very presence of God. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Do you understand that? Does the church understand that? Do we understand that God says you are holy and blameless as you stand before me without a single fault for what I, Christ, did on the cross for your sins? You remember the song? You know the song. You all sing it church on Sunday. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Why are you longing for that? Why? Holiness is what you have. It's what God gave you when He died on the cross. What you should long for is maybe just, Lord, I long for a relationship with You. A deeper relationship with You. So I can live a better life. God's not wanting you to live a better life so He can be like, look, see, they're following all my rules. He wants you to put on the breastplate of righteousness or otherwise right living is what it really should be. Put on the breastplate of right living To protect yourself. That's why you put on a breastplate of armor. It's to protect your heart. God doesn't want you to be an alcoholic because He doesn't want you to die of liver failure or or kill someone in a car accident. He doesn't want you to smoke cigarettes your whole life because He doesn't want you to die of cancer. He doesn't want you to go out and have sex because He doesn't want you to maybe die of AIDS or die of some disease. He does it because He loves us. Not because He's some fickle God that has some crazy demands. You know, he, he, he doesn't want you to, to have an abortion because he knows that that child has a purpose and a meaning. Not because he's some freaky, control freak God. He's someone who says, I love you. I just want to help you have an easier life. But it goes on to say, when it says, listen to it again, you guys. Yet now he has brought you back as his friend. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. You're blameless in the sight of God. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see it. His Son died on the cross, but we've, we've become so numb to the pictures in the books. We've become so numb to the, the, the crosses that we wear around our necks or the tattoos that we see on people's body of Jesus hanging there that we forgot that this was a real man flesh and blood that god literally came and lived on this earth flesh and blood and was tied and bound and beaten miserably horribly i've read that there's if you ever get a chance to look on the internet there's a doctors a doctor's medical report on what would happen in the crucifixion and it's one of the most gory things i've ever read in my life I mean, God actually had to pull himself on the cross just to exhale. Every, every word that he, he said when he pulled himself off, his toes were ripping. The back, the, the rips on his back from where he was whipped was rubbing up against that raw timber and ripping his back open. And they said his blood was like sludge. This was God who died. But we don't give it credit anymore. We don't make it worth anything anymore. Grace isn't sufficient for my pastor. I found out he was a homosexual. Or my pastor had an affair. Or I found out that my pastor looked at pornography at a hotel the other night. And Jesus' death wasn't sufficient for him. Well, that's a lie. That is a lie of the enemy. What we're doing is we're giving the power of sin back. The church has said, Devil, here's your power back. But when Jesus died on the cross, He said, The power of sin is gone. We shouldn't even blink at sin anymore. All we should do is look at a dying, hurting person and be moved with compassion and not get in their face and preach at them and tell them that they need to have a better life. What we need to do is say, I want to be your friend. Hi, my name's Jay. I just want to get to know you. Because that's what Christ was doing with Jesus when we read about Mark. When he was sitting at the dinner table in Jewish times, the custom was if you sat in that dinner with someone, you were building a relationship, a friendship, a lifelong bond. That's why the Pharisees were so angry. Are you building relationships with these people? Or are you just going and condemning people and saying you need to get their life right? You don't think they know that? You know when, if you've lived in sin and lived when you were living that way, you knew you were living a wrong life. But what did you want? You just wanted to be loved. And that's what God's saying. God's saying, I love you. I don't care about what you've been through. I don't care about the sin in your life. I love you. I've just i got this free gift. I died for you. I want to build a relationship with you. I want to help you lose a tendency to sin. You know, people say, well, what about taking up your cross? Taking up your cross is literally finding your purpose that was God's purpose. When He took up His cross, that was His purpose. So taking up your cross is finding your purpose and calling in God's life. What I'm saying is God is saying, I love you. Let me restore you. Let me change you. Let's end on this. You know, I really hope today that you guys really leave here with something with a different view and that as you all sit here God's putting a particular person on your heart and on your mind that really needs to hear this because you know what I know most of you are listening but as a speaker you always get nervous and think oh gosh these people hate what I'm saying right now I've got the biggest low self esteem in the world (laughs) but I go out every day and watch a generation die and watch kids go to hell because they think God hates them. There's this girl that works down a little five points. She's a lesbian. And she calls me Jamie Charles because she remembers watching me when I grew up on TV. And I said, hey, Susie. I said, uh, well, great. Now you all know her name. That wasn't her real name. I said, uh... So why don't you come to one of our concerts? Because when our, when we do our concerts, we have half secular bands and half Christian bands. Because when, when we think that if we have Christian bands, you know, when we're going to reach the lost, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of pointless. Because <laughs> a lot of lost people aren't going to come see Christian bands. You know, it's kind of Christian entertainment. So what we do is we bring in secular bands and with the Christian bands, and then we're able to encourage the bands and minister to those bands. And. And then minister to their fans that they bring in. And I said, Susie, listen. I said, I'll give you a a backstage pass. You know, we do a really big meal for all the bands. You can come up and eat. She goes, Jay, I can't. I can't do it. And I said, Why? And she goes, Why don't you ask my mother? And I said, But that's not. I said, That's not a good enough reason. I said, Why? And she goes, I hate God. I also went into the piercing parlor the other day, and I talked to the owner there. And she said, I want to give you this Bible. And I'm like, "Wow, well, this is odd. Why is she giving me a Bible? She doesn't know Jesus. And she knows I'm a pastor. She goes, you'll use it better than I am. She goes, I was forced to read this my whole life. And now I'm not going to read it by my free will. Because she was so hurt. But I'd built this relationship. And I said, well, if I would have given you a Bible, I probably would have given you a different Bible. Anyway, I said, because this Bible has got all these study points. And I said, I think you should probably just figure out what God's saying to you on your own. And she goes, well, there's some people I would receive a Bible from. And do you know why she said she would receive a Bible from me even though that she was angry at the church and angry at God? It's because I've never once preached at her. I've never once sat down and talked to her about Jesus. All I've done is sat down and talked to her about piercing or talked to her about her son or talked to her about how she got her business started or talked to her about a concert that was just recently, or a movie that just came out. Just small chit-chat. Just getting to know her, finding out what she liked, her finding out what I liked, made it possible for her to say, I would, I would accept the Bible from you. Why? Because we had an intimate relationship. She knew I loved her unconditionally. And that's what the world's calling out for. That's what you guys are calling out for. That's what I have at least... Half the people in this room are going, I just want to be loved. I can't do it. I can't make it. I can't be perfect. I can't please anybody. Just somebody love me. Someone accept me. I can't get set free from pornography. I can't get set free from alcohol. I can't get set free from over-the-counter prescription drugs. I can't get set free from my eating disorder. I can't forget the fact that I had an abortion. I can't stop struggling with homosexuality, but won't someone love me? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. Jesus, Jesus will love you. More than any father, more than any mother, more than any friend, He will love you with no conditions, except you, no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. I don't care if you've murdered a hundred people. Because more than likely, Paul did. David murdered people. I don't care if you've molested someone or if you've been molested. God says, I love you no matter what, no matter who. You are holy and blameless in my sight. And all you have to do is Ephesians 2.8.9. We are saved by grace, not by works, so no man may boast. It is a free gift. All you have to do is say, "Thank you, thank you i've seen time after time people say, "What about discipleship, Jay? What about training people how to have good lives? I had this one kid led him to the Lord. he used to cuss me out every every time he came to church. he would just cuss me out and, and I'd get around my friends and he'd say um, he's like You're a big idiot, and then that was, that't that was the kindest thing he said to me. And he got saved one day. He came to me and he goes, I want to get saved. And he goes, the only problem is I don't have, I don't really, the whole Adam and Eve thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I, I, I don't know about the Adam and Eve thing. I don't know if I believe that. And I said, well, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? He goes, yes, I do believe that. And I said, well, that's all you have to believe. And I said, do you believe Jesus loves you? He goes, yes. And I said, all right, let's pray. And he said one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard. But I couldn't repeat it to you because they probably wouldn't invite me back to this festival next year. Or I probably wouldn't be able to speak tomorrow or the next day. If you come Thursday, maybe I'll tell you how the prayer was. Just don't bring anyone under 17. Um, But here he was cussing to God and saying, Lord, thank you for effing saving me. And as he accepted Jesus into his heart, all of a sudden I didn't see him a whole lot. I said, Oh my gosh, I haven't discipled. Oh my gosh, I haven't worked in his life. Oh my gosh, I haven't been this great example. What's gonna happen? And the next thing I noticed was a kid's life coming together. And God said, Jay, you preach it, but why don't you practice it? Because you didn't even trust me in this kid's life. Because I'll change this kid's life. I love this kid more than you do. Can you trust me? Can we trust God in people's lives? I'm, I'm challenging you to do what I'm about to read to you. God and uh, Jesus and John, you know, I'm just freestyling a little bit right now with my preaching. And John, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. I can't find it right now. He says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I love you. Now what was new about loving each other? Well, how is that a new commandment? What was new about the commandment is He's saying love each other as God loves you. Love each other unconditionally. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. We'll go through 4-7. through Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Listen to that. Love keeps no record of when it's been wronged. Now this is God saying, This is how I want you to love people. Now it seems almost impossible, but it isn't. You know what? If I could tell you the thousand times that people come up to me and go, How's your father? Has God restored him? Is he on the right track now? What does it say here? Love is not irritable, it keeps no record of when it's been wronged. Jay, is your mother still is she still serving Jesus? Is she a Christian? Well, I was a partner, and I was just so hurt by what happened. And most people don't know the facts. One day when we're all in heaven, I'll be very glad that God will say, hey, this is what happened, and everyone will see the truth. But it keeps no record of when it's been wronged. I've got a friend who I've helped out. I closed down a whole runaway house for him to move in. He's a drug addict. He's also my best friend. found out a few weeks ago he lit up a joint in in the runaway house. The runaway house, if he got busted, man, I would have probably gotten in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but I sat down with him, I said, you know what, it hurts my feelings that you did it because, because it could have got me in a lot of trouble. And the fact that I felt that you respected me a little bit more than that. But we moved on and he's still there and he's still getting his life together because I'm not going to keep a record of when I've been wrong because... True love doesn't. But it even gets better in 6. It said it is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And number 7 is my favorite. 1 Corinthians 7. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful. And this is the most important part. And this is another thing I want you guys to grasp. And endures through every circumstance. Love endures through every circumstance. Not some circumstances. Not, the, not most circumstances. Every circumstance. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I'm not here to tell you how to do punk rock ministry today. That's what most people think when they see me. But no, I don't do punk rock ministry. I just do ministry. I want you to not tell you don't give up on people. If you, don't, if you never lose faith in someone, never give up, you always have hope, and you endure through every circumstance with someone, eventually they will turn to you and say, why won't you give up on me? And they'll cuss you out. And they'll tell you to go to hell. And you'll just stay there and say, I love you. I'm not giving up on you. You're going to have to drive halfway across the world. But I'm still going to have hope. I'm still going to have faith in you. I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to ever endure through every circumstance. If you know someone who's going to have an abortion, you talk to them. You tell them about how you feel. You see, try to stop them from having that abortion. But you know what? If they say, no, I'm having the abortion. I've made the decision. What do you do? You go with them. And you sit with them. And you endure through every circumstance with them. You be Jesus to that person. Well, Jay, my church won't accept me if they see me go into Planned Parenthood. Jesus had no reputation. His best friend was a prostitute. The other day I'm sitting in Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm looking out. There is this prostitute. And she looks like she'd been a prostitute for at least 10, 15 years. I said, I had $100 in my wallet. And I said, felt like God said, go give her that $100 and tell her to take the day off. And that Jesus said, have a day off on her. You know what I did? I said, God, what if someone sees me giving a prostitute $100? And before I could put my head back up, I was studying for a Bible study. And this, before I could put my head back up, I looked and she was gone. And God said, Jay... That was my best friend. That was the person I hung out with most of all. Was a prostitute. Do you know what they said about me? Do you know what they thought about me? And I had to t- convince people that I was God. I wasn't willing to endure through every circumstance. I don't know what happened to that woman. I'm sure she probably spent the day having sex with many different men to probably feed her family or to feed herself or to pay her rent or to support a drug habit. As the church, we have to get back to love. Unconditional love that never gives up, never loses hope, always has faith and endures through every circumstance. That's what I'm calling the church today. That is my purpose is to say give grace. Who's been given much is required much. And you have been given much grace. And now you are required to give much grace. Don't give up on people. You love them. And if you want to recu- if someone here wants to come and rebuke me today for saying that, I'm sorry. I won't accept it. I won't accept it. Because I've had to live through hell. I've had to live through watching the body of Christ turn their back, the body of Christ in this country, in the United States, even one of the biggest churches in Japan, turn their back on my father and my mother and not see the pastors come see my dad in prison. I had to sit alone in a prison with my father during Christmas. I God has allowed me in my 24 short years of life to understand this, to speak of this from experience. I went through it. I suffered through it. You wanted me to be transparent with you? I have to take medication because my nerves are so bad, because I'm so nervous nowadays. My sister had a nervous breakdown. They found her in the corner of her house rocking back and forth. Because where was the body of Christ when the Baker family needed it? Where was the love? But instead, now they have a documentary coming out of my out of my family that completely restores our family. It is the, completely the truth. But it was made by a company called World of Wonder, run by nothing but homosexuals. God is using the world to restore the Baker family. Using Larry King, using Rolling Stone magazine, using Time magazine. USA Today magazine. Or paper. Of course also. But now I'm starting to see the church follow the world. Now Charisma says, okay, we'll do something. Tonight on A&E at 8 o'clock, there's going to be another thing on my parents tonight. The world had to restore. We have got to stop this insanity. We have got to stop this madness in the church. We have got to start loving people and restoring people. And when a pastor falls in your church, you stand up in the middle of the church. And when the pastor resigns from the pulpit, you stand up and you go, no, pastor. You will not resign from this church. If you need some time off, that's okay. We'll give you some time off. But we're not going to let you resign. We're going to restore you. Matter of fact, you come stay at my house. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to love you. And if anybody's got a problem with it, then take it up with God because they are the body of Christ. We have been called to restore and love and endure through every circumstance. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.